Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we covered the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. Hi, welcome to Understand Murdoch. I'm Nathan Stevens, one of your hosts. I'm here with Jocelyn Greshik, who's part of our team of reporters covering the trial in Walterboro. Jocelyn, we started today hearing more testimony from the forensic pathologist who performed autopsies on Maggie and Paul. Can you tell us what that was like? Sure. This testimony from Dr. Ellen Reimer was, again, incredibly graphic, even for those of us who weren't looking at photos she took during the autopsies. Defense attorney Dick Harputlian spent the most time asking her about Paul's injuries and specifically the second gunshot wound he received. Can you remind us some of the details of that injury? Sure. So Dr. Reimer's theory is that the second gunshot was not fired at close range. She believes it traveled straight across the top of Paul's left shoulder before entering the left side of his neck and then exiting the top right of his head. And did Harputlian push back on that opinion? He did. So he was essentially theorizing that Paul's second injury was what's called a contact gunshot wound, meaning the weapon's muzzle would have been directly touching Paul when it discharged. Harputlian suggested the wound to the top right of Paul's head was actually the entrance wound and not the exit wound, like Dr. Reimer said. So this means Harputlian thinks the shotgun was pressed against Paul's head when it went off? That's right. And Dr. Reimer said she frequently sees this type of wound when examining people who commit suicide. Is Harputlian suggesting Paul or someone else killed Maggie and then Paul killed himself? Well, he never really came out and said that, but Dr. Reimer was adamant that this contact gunshot wound theory isn't correct. And why is that? Because in shootings where a firearm is pressed against someone's head, the entire skull from above the chin typically gets destroyed, according to Dr. Reimer. And she's performed autopsies on about 5,500 people. Paul's face was largely spared, while the back right of his skull was destroyed. His brain was also left intact. Dr. Reimer said she often sees fragmented brains in people with contact wounds to the head because the brain is directly in this path of fire. But in Paul's case, the path of fire went behind his brain. Why does Harputlian think Paul suffered a contact gunshot wound then? Well, I'm not sure he believes that. I think he might have just been trying to show jurors that there are other logical conclusions about how Paul may have died. He pointed out the small size of the feed room where Paul was killed, for instance. But Dr. Reimer said she doesn't look at crime scene photos when she's conducting autopsies because she's really only concerned with what the body is telling her about the way someone died. Harputlian also asked her about whether she noticed any stippling or soot around the wound to Paul's head. Can you remind us what that is? Sure. So when someone shot at close range, you'll see what's called stippling around the gunshot wound. And these are basically distinctive markings that 
telepathologist, the barrel of the gun was less than three feet from the body when it fired. And then soot is evidence that the skin has been burned, which suggests that the gun's muzzle was actually pressed up against a body part when it went off. Okay, so did Dr. Reimer notice any stippling or soot on Paul? She didn't, but Harputlian accused her of not really checking. He asked whether she shaved around the wound on Paul's head, which might have allowed her to see soot and stippling more clearly. Dr. Reimer said she didn't shave around the wound because she'd already made her determination that the injury to Paul's shoulder was the entrance wound, not the one to his head. And who did jurors hear from next? They heard from a guy named Roger Dale Davis, and he took care of the dogs that were kept at the Moselle Kennels. He said he came twice a day in the morning and afternoon to feed the dogs and then wash out their kennels. So what did we learn from him? Well, much of his testimony focused on his very meticulous routine down at the kennels. So he said he'd feed the dogs first and then the chickens before going back and washing out the kennels. And Davis was precise in how he put back the hose because he did not want any kinks in the rubber. And then prosecutors showed Davis photos from the kennels that were taken the night Maggie and Paul were killed. Had Davis been at the kennels that day to feed the dogs? He had. So he went in the morning and then came back, but left around 4.30 that afternoon, and he said no one was there. He also testified that he didn't see any weapons left out around the kennels or in the feed room. And we've heard from previous witnesses, as well as Davis himself, that sometimes the family, especially Paul, would leave weapons kind of anywhere on the property. Okay. And what was different in those crime scene photos from how Davis usually kept the kennels? Well, he went over a couple of things. So he said the dogs appeared to be in different kennels than the ones he left them in. And then he testified that water pooled in spots in front of the kennels where it would typically dry very fast. The hose also wasn't put back the way Davis likes. And he said all of this suggested to him that someone else had been down there after he was that day. But we know both Maggie and Paul were down there for some time before they were killed, correct? That's right. And, you know, that was sort of the point defense attorney Jim Griffin made during his cross-examination. He showed Davis the video filmed on Paul's phone minutes before it shut off for the final time. This is the video you'll remember where Alex, Paul, and Maggie's voices are said to be heard. Griffin paused it on a particular frame and asked Davis to identify what was in the top left corner. And what was that? He said it was the hose and that someone had clearly undone it after he wound it up earlier that afternoon. He said it was the hose and someone had clearly undone it after he had wound it up earlier that afternoon because the hose was laying on the ground in the video. Griffin seemed to be suggesting Paul might have been the one to do that because Davis testified Paul wasn't as careful in wrapping up the hose as he was. Did jurors hear any testimony about the alleged financial crimes today? They did. So a forensic accountant with the South Carolina Attorney General's office briefly testified. And his job was to trace Alex's alleged stolen money from the source to where it ultimately ended up. And he spoke mostly about the $792,000 we've heard about before. This is the money Alec received from Chris Wilson's law firm as fees from a personal injury case that they had worked on together. 
And prosecutors accuse Alec of stealing this money from his law firm, right? That's right. And defense attorneys asked the forensic accountant how much of that 792000 went to a man named Curtis Eddie Smith. How much was it? It was the majority, about $500,000. And who is Curtis Eddie Smith? So jurors have heard about him before, but prosecutors and defense attorneys have really only tossed his name out sporadically without going into much explanation. But they got to learn exactly how he's connected to Alec today. Okay, walk us through that. So Smith, or Cousin Eddie as he's sometimes called, is distantly related to Alec. Alec's defense attorneys have long said Cousin Eddie was his personal drug dealer. And he's also one of several of Alec's alleged accomplices. Cousin Eddie has been charged with a number of crimes in the wake of September 2021, including money laundering and drug possession. Wasn't he also accused of shooting Alec in the head? That's right. So Cousin Eddie was arrested after the September 4th, 2021 roadside shooting, which jurors also learned about for the first time today. Details of what actually went down that day are still hairy because both Cousin Eddie and Alec have been accused of lying to authorities. But they're both charged with carrying out a botched insurance fraud scheme in which Cousin Eddie was supposed to kill Alec so his remaining son Buster could collect on Alec's $10 million life insurance policy. Okay. How did things end today? So jurors heard from Marion Proctor, who's the sister and only sibling of Maggie Murdoch. Her testimony was quite emotional and sad at times, but it was also really interesting because it's sort of the first time Maggie's family has publicly spoken after her death. And what did Marion say about her sister? Well, they were super close. They spoke almost every day. Marion described Maggie as a sweet and devoted mother who was also a free spirit. Marion also mentioned the 2019 fatal boat crash in which Paul Murdoch was criminally charged and a civil lawsuit had been filed against the family. Marion called the crash a devastating blow to Maggie and her family and said her sister had felt ostracized from the Hampton community as a result. Did Marion speak at all about her interactions with Alec? Yeah, she did, particularly in the wake of the killings. She said Alec was clearly distraught afterwards. Once, they spoke about the boat crash, and Alec told Marion he was very intent on clearing Paul's name. And in fact, he said this was his number one goal. Marion testified she thought this was strange because her number one goal was to find out who had killed Maggie and Paul. She believed Alec wanted to know this too, but she didn't understand why it wasn't his main priority or why he was even concerned about the boat crash at all. Did she say whether they ever theorized about who the killer might be? Yeah, Marion said she initially believed the boat crash had something to do with Maggie and Paul's death, but she said this changed after the September 4th roadside shooting. And what did she tell jurors about that? Well, Marion said she learned Alec had been fired from his law firm for stealing money the day before the shooting. And in the weeks that followed, Marion learned more about Alec's alleged theft and fraud, which she said she had no idea about. And her opinion about everything began to shift. Jocelyn, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Nathan. That's all we have for now. 
For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier. We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And please, also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up to date on the trial, subscribe to Murdoch News, a premium newsletter from the Post and Courier, bringing you exclusive first-hand insight from local South Carolina reporters who have covered this saga from the beginning. Subscribe at postandcourier.com slash Murdoch News, and we'll bring you exclusive reporting on the civil and criminal cases of Alec Murdoch. We'll see you next time.